This is the Simi Sarah Show On Demand. Subscribe now on iTunes. Listen to the show each weekday 10 to 2 on 980 CKNW and through the Radio Player app. Jill Bennett sitting in for Simi Sarah. Thanks so much for being with us today. We are continuing to talk about the plane crash just outside of Tehran. Everybody on board uh, perished in the crash. 63 Canadians so far uh, is the number that we have been given. And we're starting to learn more about the people, many from BC, many from Edmonton, who died in that crash. One of the other big questions is what happened? What caused the crash? We don't know at this point. However, we are joined on the line by Jock Williams, who is an aviation expert. Jock Williams, thank you so much for being with us. Hi, glad to be here, although sad that it's always this kind of an event. Yeah. But I have to give you further sad news is that I have no idea myself what happened. I have some theories, but uh, I have no more information than you do. No, and absolutely, and, and certainly that's what people are doing right now, is looking at what little evidence we have, what little we know, and trying uh, to figure out. Uh, can, we, can we draw anything, or, or does it help in any way in trying to figure it out, the fact that the plane went down just two minutes into the flight? Well, there are several things. First of all, my understanding is that it, it had climbed to 8,000 feet. Now, that's, uh, that's pretty fast climbing for a plane to get to 8,000 feet in the first two minutes of flight, but it may have done so. But then record would show, according to what I've seen, that it supposedly disappeared from radar at that point. And that's odd. I mean, why does a plane disappear from radar? Well, e- either it ceased to exist, and we know that was not the case, or something was wrong with either the ground-based equipment or some air-based equipment. So we know that. We know that the plane crashed at high speed because it was reduced to very small fragments. I've seen pictures of the searchers and rescuers wandering around through the wreckage, and it's wee little pieces of airplane. It takes a lot of energy to rip up a great big, uh, you know, several hundred ton airplane, and one it means that you were going quickly at the time. There's a question of whether it was going quickly straight down or going quickly relatively flat compared to the earth. And I would suggest that it was at least a little bit flat because there's a trail of wreckage over the ground. It isn't all concentrated in one deep hole in the ground as it would be if it went in nose first. But I, but I couldn't see enough of the, of the crash path, if you will, to be certain of that, I think, from what I saw, that it looked like it hit sort of in a flying attitude and bounced across the ground as it tore itself apart. But we have no idea. There's so many things that could feasibly go wrong with an airplane, although they don't usually, but there's so many things that you don't want to jump to any one particular conclusion. Uh, absolutely. And I mean, one of the things that people are jumping to is the fact this happened at the same time that missiles were being launched in the area. And people obviously asking the question, is it possible this plane could have been hit by one of them? Well, it is possible. And, and But the good news is this. If that occurred, that will quickly become visible. Okay, the investigators on the ground will be able to look quite easily and quickly for any evidence of of penetration of the aircraft by high-speed fragments or by a high-speed vehicle, a a missile itself. They'll also be able to look quite easily for presence of chemical residue that would indicate an explosion as of the warhead of a missile or something like that. So that that, in a sense, would, would make life pretty easy. If we found 
if we found that that's what happened, there will be evidence all over the place of that having occurred. Also, the, the, the wreckage pattern on the ground. If a plane gets hit at 8,000 feet by a major missile, some of the plane falls apart. And that part doesn't necessarily land anywhere near the rest of the wreckage. So if you find the wreckage in two distinct locations, then there's an excellent chance that something like that happened. These are the beginning steps in an investigation. The first thing an investigator does is determine whether everything is there at the crash site. And as soon as he finds that something is missing, that really gives focus to the subsequent investigation. Uh, But right now we have no reason to believe that that's the case. Iran has said that they are not going to turn over the black boxes right away. How key are those boxes? The black boxes are very key. They, they will lessen the time it takes to, to carry out a, a comprehensive investigation severely. I mean, a, an investigation that might be completed in a month will take several years to complete if they don't get those black boxes. But here's the point. Iran didn't say they won't give the boxes to anybody. They said they won't give them to Boeing and they won't give them to the American authorities like the National Transportation Safety Board. To me, that implies that they would give them to the British, to the Canadians, to the Germans, to the French. And each of those nations has an excellent capacity to read the data that's encased in those flight data recorders and so on. So trust us, Canada can read that and do a wonderful job of reading it if the Iranians trust us to do so. Undoubtedly, they would extract a promise to not give it to the Americans. And I can see why they might be somewhat concerned about the Americans right now, as the Americans have concerns with the, the Iranians. But we, we've got to put that kind of stuff behind us and get to work on investigating this accident, because 100-plus people died you know, uh, in the wreckage of this airplane, and we've got to stop that from happening again. Absolutely. Uh, what about the plane itself? Do we, can we glean any information, the fact that this was an older version of the 737? Yeah, not really. The the sad news is that the the version of the 737 that has gained so much publicity since the Lion Air and the Ethiopian Air crash, uh, it's quite different in its various mechanisms and so on. There's probably 5,000-odd 737 model airplanes flying already in the world, and there's going to be another 5,000 before Boeing is done making them. And there is nothing wrong with the 737 series of airplanes. I mean, I have flown them. Many, many people have flown them. They're excellent airplanes. That's why there's so many of them. But the fact of the matter is no airplane is perfect. And and one thing that's vital in the assessment of any aircraft's perfection is if something bad happened to this airplane, did it happen because it was a bad design or because it was badly put together or because it was improperly flown? And increasingly in today's aviation atmosphere, accidents happen because the airplane is incorrectly operated. We have to look really careful at the the data regarding what the crew did. Did the crew bring on the crash or did the crew perish trying to stop a crash that had been caused by one of the other possibilities? We don't know that yet, but we will know it if the Iranian authorities pass that information along to some appropriate organization. The Iranians could feasibly say, we will give this information to the Canadian Accident Investigation Group, 
but we demand that they promise us absolutely that they will not pass that same information directly to Boeing or the American government. All right. That'd be fair enough, and I think we'd sign on to that because we're trying to prevent the next accident. We're not trying to take part in a world of events debate. All right, uh, Jock Williams, thank you so much. Uh, that is uh, Jock Williams, aviation expert. We are going to take.